Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012. It's now the 16th day of July 2016. I'm yours, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from the Southwest Terminal of San Jose Mineta Airport in San Jose, California. The, well, what was once proposed the home of the Giants and then proposed the home of the A's, but now has to simply be home of the California League San Jose Giants. It's real early. It is real early. Let me tell you how early it is. It's so early that when I got here, Starbucks wasn't open. There's like three Starbucks here at San Jose Mineta Airport, and I'm sitting here, and the Starbucks are not open. You know, that's, that should be like, when, when there are flights, you know how I said that um, when you have a rental car place at an airport, it has to stay open until all the flights have landed. There's at one point the flights stop landing, and you, if you have a rental car place, you keep it open until all the flights have landed. Seems pretty simple to me. You know, if people are landing, they're renting a car, you have to be open. Oh, the flight's delayed. Then you know what? Then you got to put that into your contingency plan. Okay, you're at a freaking airport. People, when they come to an airport to rent a car, chances are they don't have their own car there. Do you know why? Because they're at an airport. Chances are they're coming from somewhere else. And if it's super late, they need to rent a car. A taxi or an Uber isn't always the situation. Well, with that in mind, the same has to be true with Starbucks. If you have people arriving, and it's early, and let me tell you, it is so early here, the sun wasn't up yet. And now, I'm not a coffee guy, so this isn't a major issue for me. I don't drink coffee. But for people who are into coffee, this is what they need. They need to start their morning with it. People blame bad behavior on a bean, and it's socially acceptable when people say things like, oh, I'm sorry, I was in a bad mood, I didn't have my coffee. Oh, I get it, fine, you got it. And so people are arriving, they're coming to an airport, and there's already tension at an airport, there's already uh, a sense of an adversarial relationship at an airport to begin with, and you're going to make it more tense? If you have a Starbucks here, or and if the Starbucks gets the contract, and you're the airport, they're like, hey, when we open our doors, when the gate's open, you're open. When people arrive at the airport, okay, there's a point where it's too early. I can't show up here at 2 in the morning for a 6 a.m. flight. But if people are here, you are got to be there. Because let me tell you something, it's not even just out of courtesy. It's good for business. I mean, if you're here super early, someone's going to get one of those cups of coffee that is like a waiting pool. And down it. It's like it's good for business for the the rental car place. If you're renting a car and you're having more customers, and it's like, oh man, you know this place or that. I don't get. I mean, I'm not a business major, but what the hell? Anyway, my point is, it's early, and no better way to spend time than to talk to you, my listeners, about baseball. Hey, um, thanks for many people who wrote nice things about the in memoriam video that we did. Uh, that I launched Friday and then had to take down and then post back up again because of the mistake that I made uh, in the edit. But uh, I'm very proud of how it came out. I don't think that's a, a, a 
bad quality to say that. By the way, I just want to let you know, there, there's music playing in the background. At one point, they were playing a Muzak version of the song that Phil Collins wrote for the Tarzan cartoon. And I'm thinking, a, a Muzak Phil Collins is kind of, is that like a double negative? I mean, that, that just, it, it's already Phil freaking Collins. What the hell is going on? Anyway, I, I digress. Thank you for the kind words about the In Memoriam video. And hey, Red Sox-Yankees, last night, it was a little closer than I wanted it to be, uh, 5-3. to three. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, when the Red Sox took a 5 nothing lead, and we were Stephen Wright dealing, yeah, it was a little tense when they, when they cut it back to 5-3, to three and think, oh man, if they tie this game. But in the back of my head, I was thinking, I don't trust this Yankee lineup to tie this game. Yes, when it's a two-run game, all it takes is, oh, there's an error by this and a fluke home run, and suddenly it's tied. But I, I look at this team, and I think, who's hitting the fluke home run? Who's getting a big hit on this team? I mean, I'm not saying this. I mean, yes, I'm, I, I'm saying this a little bit as a gloating Red Sox fan because, you know, life is good. When you, 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 the Red Sox can split the next two games, that means they went to Yankee Stadium and won the series. And that's always, it's always a good thing. Happiness abounds. It's the feeling that these travelers get when they drink their Starbucks. That's the feeling I get when the Red Sox beat the Yankees. But it also brings up just in a cold-hearted fact that we are now in the second half of July, technically. I mean, it's July 16th, double 16, and that's 32. There's no July 32nd. So we are past the halfway mark of July. We are past the All-Star break. We are now at a point where the trade deadline is two weeks away. Where you have to, you know, the, the waiver wire trade deadline is only two weeks away. Now the Red Sox, it's nice they're on a five-game winning streak and everything like that. That they are a wild-card team right now. And, you know, the, the Orioles, give the Orioles credit... They've won their last three games, and they have a, a, they've maintained a two-game lead over the Red Sox. But the Yankees are now a sub-500 team. When you think about buyers and sellers, this is a sample size where you're like, okay, you got two weeks to go before you can, you know, before your any major trades will get blocked. Um, I, I'm, and some of the players that they would want to trade would get blocked. The you know a, a, a Rollis Chapman, despite the domestic violence and everything with the Rollis Chapman, hit trade for him would be blocked. A trade for Andrew Miller would be blocked. Trade for uh, Carlos Beltran would be blocked. After the waiver wire deadline has passed, so they have two weeks to figure out if they were going to try to get a young player in exchange for all of those players, because they can do it. It'd be so smart. They're probably going to have a losing season with them. And ask yourself, are the Yankees going to be a playoff team this year? Probably not. Are they going to be a playoff team next year? I don't know. You can have bounce-back seasons from Pineda. You can have bounce-back seasons from Severino. That's what the, the, when the Red Sox went from you know, the disastrous collapse in 2011, the horrible season in 2012, to world champions in 2013, and back to a disastrous 2014, all had to do with whether or not their pitchers had a good season. In 2012, their pitchers were disastrous, and the bullpen was a mess. In 2013, it was very good. So, yeah, Severino has talent. Pineda has talent. Nova has talent. 
Tanaka has talent. The team as a whole are not having a good year. Severino, Nova, and Pineda are not having good years. Neither is Iovali. He's been terrible. So they, they all are capable of bounce-back seasons. And so, yeah, it is possible, but it is also one of the things the Red Sox did is they got rid of some of the excess baggage. They got rid of some of the dead weight in the trade that was made to Los Angeles where they sent uh, Gonzalez and they traded um, you know, Beckett and Crawford as well, is it gave them some flexibility to bring in people for short-term and short-term fixes. Now, one of the things that is interesting is that if the Yankees want to shed, say, Jacoby Ellsbury or shed, say, C.C. Um, Sabathia, which would probably not be the worst thing in the world. Those are trades that could be made post-deadline because, you know, let's say you're the Colorado Rockies. Would you really block a trade for Jacoby Ellsbury by laying a, a waiver claim on him? The Yankees would let him go in a heartbeat. Now, of course, there's all the nonsense of are the Yankees, should the Yankees go for it? You know, as a Red Sox fan, I'm dying for them to go for it because I don't see anything about this team. This is, not, this is just me being, as an objective baseball fan, I don't see anything on this team that makes me think they're capable of making a long run. What part of the season do you look at and go, like, oh, well, you know, clearly they're just having a little bit of a what? A little bit of a what? More than half the season has gone by. Have a little, a little bit of a rut for half a season, more than half a season? I mean, this is for the Yankees good to try to see, hey, if you could trade Beltran, Miller, Chapman, you could get three young players for them and somehow tr- just shed Sabathia and Ellsbury. That's positive for the 2017 Gi- uh, Giants, Jesus, 2017 Yankees. I just saw someone walk by with a Giants hat. That's why I was distracted. And I think the fans would love it. You can't rebuild in New York. Who said that? Seriously, who said that? Don't talk about bad attendance, don't talk about bad ratings. They're going to have bad attendance and bad ratings with those players. They're not going to suddenly, it's not going to suddenly be like in, in August, if the Yankees are still hovering around just a game over or a game under 500, it's not like all of a sudden, oh golly, we're going to get 50,000 on a Wednesday. Oh, tune into WFAN. No. No, no. They will have bad attendance and bad ratings with a mediocre team. So you might as well do it with a younger team. The, you know, every New York fan that I know is willing to go through a little bit of a rebuild. The Mets went through a little bit of a rebuild. And they had, they, they've developed some players who the fans love. Some through trades, trading away R.A. Dickey, and some through the farm. But the Mets fans seem to love their homegrown players and seem to love the players that they can identify as their own. So anyway, I, as, a, as an objective baseball fan, I think Yankees should do that. The, the league is healthier when the Yankees are, are a good team. They're a good villain. You know, fans show up to see the Yankees on visiting parks. When you go to see the Yankees come to your park now, what are you sitting there saying? Like, oh man, I can't wait to see them take on Chase Headley. Oh man, it's, it's head-to-head. Can we get a hit off of Ivan Nova? Yeah, I think you can. I really think you can. You know, I, I want to talk about another thing. This, I guess, was going to be the main thing I was going to talk about. Of course, any time I could say anything mean about the Yankees, I do it. I'll talk about curses for a second. 
sports curses. And, and, and by a curse, I use that sort of um, tongue-in-cheek. I, I don't believe in curses. I don't believe in, af- you know, I don't believe in anything supernatural. I don't believe there's an afterlife or we're ghosts. I don't believe in magic. I don't believe in ESP. I think all that's a bunch of shit. I think it's garbage. I don't believe any of it. And if it were real, the person who scientifically could show that it's real would be the most famous scientist in the world. And I know a lot of scientists out there. I know some of them are looking for funding. And I said, do you know what? I could prove all this psychic phenomena is true, peer-reviewed, true. But do you want? I'm going to sit on that. I'm going to absolutely sit on that. Yeah, because it's, it's a trick. Okay, so I don't believe anything like that. And when I say a curse, what I really mean is the identity and narrative that you can't shed. You know, that's the case with you know the 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 narrative of the Cubs that they haven't won a World Series since 1908. They haven't been to the World Series since 1945. I personally don't believe they'll make the World Series this year. I'll get to that in a second. And you know, it's it's so absurd that you look for things like Billy Goats and and lunacy like that to point to because obviously reality with all the players and all the years and just uh, just by sheer chance eventually the Cubs would put together a world champion. I mean the freaking Marlins stumbled in Mr. Magoo style to two world championships which totals the entire Chicago Cubs championship tally of which they have two 1907 and 1908. So people point to things like a curse. It happened with the Red Sox. Oh, it must be because they sold Babe Ruth. So let's dive into a, a, a pond in Sudbury to look for a goddamn piano. It had a lot more to do with Tom Yawkey and incompetent management than a piano at the bottom of a pond in Sudbury. But, you know, so teams have identities that sometimes... There, nope. There's a flight attendant named Fabio that they're looking for. I really hope it's the model. Anyway, so when there's a narrative for a for a city, for a you know, sports wise or for a team sports wise, there's sometimes it's a very easy thing to shed. You know, the, there's we just saw this happen in Cleveland. You know, Cleveland has never seen a championship of any kind of the major sports since the the Browns won the NFL title, and that hung over those three teams. It hung over the Browns, hung over the Indians, and hung over the Cleveland Cavaliers. Boom, Cavaliers won. We're n- that conversation is not going to come up again because it's the simplicity of the narrative, the simplicity of, oh, well, that's never happened. Yes, it has. Oh, okay, now that, now there's nothing to talk about. The simplicity of the Red Sox haven't won a World Series since 1918. Oh, they did. Okay, well, then that narrative's over. The White Sox haven't won since 1917. They threw the World Series in 1919. Maybe they're jinxed. Nope, 2005 they won. Okay, that's over. You know, there are things like this. You know, John Elway, great, great, quarterback, not good enough to win the championship, one back-to-back, that's no longer part of his narrative. You know, so we have the, you know, and, and you know, the LeBron's narrative, that he was, he was, he was cruel to the, the people of Cleveland when he announced, well, now he gave them the greatest joy. And what can happen sometimes when you uh, defeat the narrative, when you defeat the narrative that's hanging over your team, is you can not only 
create positives forward, but you can create retroactively, you can turn negative into positives. I'll tell you what I mean by that. I mentioned LeBron with the championships he won and the way that he won it, down three games to one, against the team with the greatest win total of all time, against the back-to-back MVP, and in a game where they kind of fell apart. Came back, won the championship within the and, and played a huge part with a block in the last minute of Game Seven and delivered the title. Well, what that did not only that great moment and moving forward they had this, but it also now you can go back to the decision and say, do you know what? He may not be that player if he doesn't leave Cleveland for for four years, goes to Miami, wins the titles, and then comes back as a champion. That suddenly the decision, which is a negative part of the Cleveland narrative, suddenly becomes a positive. Related to the Red Sox, related to the Red Sox, the Aaron Boone home run is not something that I look and cringe anymore at, because I know the Aaron Boone home run set up 2004. That's the beginning of that narrative. The Red Sox collapse in in 2011 when they collapsed down the stretch in 2011. It was a disaster, and it was so humiliating. And then Bobby Valentine came in, and it was an absolute disaster. Those are now positives for me because those set up 2013. Those were the downfall that allowed 2013 to be a positive thing. So the team I'm thinking about right now are the Washington Nationals because there is a narrative that is hanging over the Nationals whether or not you think this is fair whether or not you think this is right this is reality and the narrative about the Nationals is that they were cocky in 2012 when they put together the best record in the National League and they had Steven Strasburg who was a wonderful pitcher in 2012, and they sat him. They took him off the playoff roster. They took him. They sat him down the most of the month of September, when everyone could see by April or May. And if you say, "Oh, yeah, this is all 2020 hindsight," no, 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 no. I was writing this. If you want, I'll send you the links of when I was writing this. It became very clear that Strasburg was going to be a valuable pitcher, and that the Nationals were going to be a very good team and that the Nationals made the announcement they're going to shut him down in September, that they could have done something. That's, that there, there is a gray area between wearing down a pitcher to the point where he can't throw anymore and going for a, and, and, and shutting someone down completely. There is a gray area. You can find a way to use him, whether it's starting him once a week, whether using him three innings at a time, whether it's doing something where you would have that arm and to be a quality pitcher down the stretch, and that they needed him in the postseason. Everyone remembers, and by everyone I mean me and Nationals fans, because chances are some of you didn't remember this, but the Nationals had an epic collapse in the division series against the Cardinals, where they were one strike away several times, and they absolutely wet the bed, and they let the Cardinals advance on them with that four-run ninth inning that absolutely stunned the fans of Washington who thought they were about to see the first time that they won a postseason series since the 1924 World Series when the Washington Senators beat the New York Giants. Instead, they saw an epic collapse. Now, people remember the bullpen collapse, but also 
they wouldn't have got there if they didn't have such horrible starting pitching in that series. You look back, their starting pitching in that series was dreadful. They kept going to the bullpen because they, their starters couldn't give them any innings. Meanwhile, their all-star pitcher, Steven Strasburg, was sitting on the bench eating sunflower seeds as a spectator. And that hung over Rizzo, the general manager of the Nationals, and the team as... And the decision made by Rizzo to not start Strasburg has been something that's hanging over the team. By the way, I paused there because the announcement was too loud, and I'm not 100% sure how my last sentence ended. So if it, just, if it was an awkward little jarring moment there, that's the reality of podcasting from an airport. Forgive me. But that decision's been hanging over Rizzo, the general manager, ever since. And it's been brought up. And every time the Nationals don't advance past the division series, which has been, they've never advanced past the division series, you can point to 2012 as the year that was their best chance. And there was an element of, well, you know, we, we expect Steven Strasburg to be healthy to win the next four or five division titles, and we're going to win a bunch of World Series without, you know, with him healthy. So it was the smart thing to rest him down the stretch. It's basically, we're going to sacrifice this one shot in 2012 for a bunch, for a dynasty. Well, that was back when Davey Johnson was the manager. We've already gone through Matt Williams, now we're over to Dusty Baker, and we don't know how long this window of opportunity is going to be for the Washington Nationals. Now, Strasburg signed long-term, so he's not going anywhere fast. But you see that windows of opportunities close really, really quickly. And the Nationals made it to the postseason one other year, against the Giants, and they lost that bizarre 18-inning game, and they should have clobbered the Giants, and instead they lost in, in four games in, one, in a series where Matt Williams was managing so poorly that it, you know, it should have cost him his job then. Instead, he won manager of the year and went on to have the calamitous 2015 season. But we've gone on. They, they, since then, 2013 didn't make the playoffs. 2014 wet the bed. Last year, absolutely collapsed down the stretch. And the question is always pointed. That 2012 season may have been their best shot. You can't always pick when your best shot's going to be. You can't always say, hey, uh, you know, I would really like to win it this year, but we're going to try to win several down the, down the road. No, no, it may not come together. It may not all click again. There are all these books coming out now about the 1986 Mets and Doc and Strawberry and that great documentary that's made um, and, and more books by Lenny Dykstra and everything. That was as talented a team as you were ever going to see. And it came together for them once, once in 86. And if John McNamara had decided to not let Calvin Schiraldi pitch until his arm fell off, then maybe they wouldn't have worked even once. You can't pick how many times you're going to, how many uh, uh, times you think, well, this is the best time. We'll wait a couple of years. The great A's teams of the 2000s never even got out of the, of the ALCS. So when you, you have a chance to go for it, you go for it. And that's been hanging over Rizzo. But like the other teams that I mentioned, it's very easy to break this. Steven Strasburg is 13-0 and 0 now. I know we're not supposed to look at win-loss records, but 13-0 is 13 in damn-o. And right now, the Washington Nationals, as I'm recording this, uh, the Nats 
who I believe, yeah, they won last night. They have a six-game lead over the Mets, and the Mets have been playing well recently. But they have a six-game lead over them. And they are currently basically virtually tied with the Cubs. They are in a virtual tie with the Cubs and look like they're in a good spot to be a playoff team this year. And I think you know, the way that they're situated now with the injuries that the Mets are having, uh, I think the Nationals are probably going to win the division. And if they get there and they move on and they do win a title, and Steven Strasburg, who we see is having a, a wonderful season, an all-star caliber season, and who knows, if he has a great second half and Clayton Kershaw doesn't come back from his injuries as quickly as we hope, he, he and Johnny Cueto may be pitchers who would be fighting for the National League Cy Young Award. If the Nationals go on and win this year, suddenly, not only would that be a title for Washington, not only would that be for a, for a city that is, you know, hasn't had a title of any kind since the Redskins in, what was it, 1992, they won the Super Bowl. You know, it's been really slim pickings for the Washington, for the Washington sports. But also, and it would be a world championship for Dusty Baker, and I would love that because it would mean that the people who, the people who hate Dusty Baker will have to be confronted with the specter of him getting a Hall of Fame bid. But it would suddenly also make the decision in 2012 would look prophetic. It would look like, yeah, we didn't blow his arm out then. We knew we had a championship in us. In retrospect, it would make 2012 a positive thing. It would be an I told you so moment. And one of the things I wrote back in 2012, I think I wrote for Bleacher Report, one of the things I said is, they have to win in order, they have to win it all in order for this decision by Rizzo to be one that makes sense. That it's, if he does, if they win it all, suddenly Rizzo can say, yeah, this is, this is what I wanted to do all along. This is how I saw it all along. And if they win that negative, suddenly the specter of the Cardinals collapse, or the, the collapse against St. Louis, and losing the 18-inning game, and Matt Williams managing like a buffoon, and Papelbon trying to strangle Bryce Harper, and all this other stuff, suddenly that becomes part of a positive narrative. You know, when you show all the clips before 2004's celebration, they're all the black and white clips of you know, the the Buckner era, the Bucky Dent homer, the Babe Ruth being sold, uh, you know, the the Ed Armbrister colliding with Fisk at home plate and the Aaron Boone home run and then Grady Little leaving in Pedro too long. Those suddenly like, yeah, that makes the championship better. The Nationals can win the World Series this year. They have a few holes they need to plug, but they're as good as any team. And if you have a short series, and especially leading with Strasburg and Scherzer, you could win a short series. I'd pick them over the Cubs right now. I would pick them. Absolutely, I would. Now, that may change on the stretch, but if you want to erase your team's identity, the, that, the negative identity that people have, or for the, the, you know, for the, you know, the vernacular of using a curse... Sometimes the solution is quite simple. Positives 
can be made of negatives with action. We've seen that all over sport. All right, uh, I'm going to go get a plane. Uh, Strasbourg owned baseball. Um, so did uh, Hector Santiago. So did, who else owned baseball? Uh, Stephen Vogt, Chris Taylor, Half Wobs, to Chris Archer, Brian Dozier, and Tommy Pham. Go to SullyBaseball.com. Like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. If it's on, because uh, yesterday the music didn't show up on the podcast. Well, I'm keeping interrupted by these loudspeakers, so it's time to go. This has been the Solid Baseball Daily Podcast for the 16th day of July 2016. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. Okay, I'll go to my flight.